0: Hope Church. All right, good morning. Good right. morning. There we go. Good morning. Uh, it's a privilege to be here with you this morning. Um, special welcome to those of you who are visiting with us today. Um, very glad that you're here and please make yourself at home. If you need anything, please let us know. Today's a a special day. It's a day of um, celebration for us. We have baptism today, and that's always an exciting thing. A a little cold to walk down to the river, Um, and the river water's a little chilly, so we have um, this large tub here uh, to get the job done this morning. So we're thankful um, for that, for the Lord's provision. And so um, we're going to continue this morning, though, in our study of the book of Nehemiah. And so we're in Nehemiah chapter ten. I'm gonna give a little bit of context um, for that, so that what we are reading today makes makes sense. Even you know, if you haven't been here for the first nine chapters, still want you to understand what's going on in the book and what's happening, um, how we got to where we are. And so um, at this point, you know, the nation of of Israel has had um, its judges, and then. Um, its kings, it's, it's become a, a divided um, nation between the, the north and the south. Um, they basically had their own um, north and south situation like our country um, had in, in its past. Um, and then they've been taken, uh, many of their people have been taken into captivity um, by the Babylonians. Um, so the Babylonian empire was massive and then the Babylonian empire Gets taken over um, by the Persian Empire, um, based in you know what we would call modern day Iran, and so this is where Nehemiah finds himself in the city of Susa, the capital of the Persian Empire. He's a thousand miles away from Jerusalem. He's a thousand miles away from where he wants to be, and his brother Hananiah and some others come to visit him, and he asks them, you know, how is it? Back in Jerusalem, and they tell him it's, it's terrible. The walls are broken down, the gates, all the gates of the city have been burned. You know, we're, we're disgraced. Basically, the, the peoples around us, you know, mock us. And when Nehemiah hears that, he's heartbroken. You know, in terms of being in captivity, he has a pretty good situation because, you know, he's well taken care of as um, King Artaxerxes. He's the, he's the cupbearer for King Artaxerxes. Now, that's not a job without risk. It's certainly a job with risk. You know, he has, he's the one who tastes the wine. If it's poisoned, he's going to die and not the king. So there's a risk to his job. It would definitely be on the most dangerous jobs you know list of of that day, but it also gave him a pretty, as long as he was alive, a pretty comfortable life. and a life where he had resources and he had, you know he he had some financial um, ability there and he was in a pretty you know he's next to the king. He's as secure as he can be given the situation. Uh, we know that he even redeem people who other Israelites who were other Hebrews who had you know were, were slaves when they would be up for, for sale he would spend his own money and redeem them and give them their freedom he was an upstanding person but when he heard that news you know his heart was, was broken and says you know he wept before the Lord he fasted and he prayed um and he asked for God's help in the situation um and this went on this process for him went on for months but you know when he prayed he repented he turned he said he asked God's forgiveness for his own sin and for the sins of his people and he asked for God to have mercy on them and then about 3 months had passed and he's Before King Artaxerxes, and before, you know, he had made sure that the king didn't see him sad. You don't want to be sad in front of the king if you're the cupbearer. That's that could be detrimental. But this time the king sees his sadness and he says, You know, Nehemiah, you're not sick, you're heartbroken. What you know, basically, what's the matter? What's wrong? And Nehemiah tells him. That he's sad because of the state of Jerusalem and King Artaxerxes, you know, he prays. It says he 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 prayed and he had he had courage. He was brave in the situation, and he told King Artaxerxes the truth of the situation. And Artaxerxes says, "What do you want me to do for you?" And he says, "Let me go back and rebuild it. Let me go back and rebuild the walls, and that you know, my city, my home, you know, is not a disgrace, you know, anymore." And so. And then he gets even more bold so he starts to ask for, he asks for the letters as he's got to pass through these different territories that he would have authority to do so. And that he would have wood from the king's forest to be able to, to build the gates and to build even a home for himself back in Jerusalem. And King Artaxerxes grants him all of these things and says, how long will he be gone? He says, we're not told a specific time. He's like, about this long. And the king says, go. And he goes. He makes that thousand mile journey back to Jerusalem. And then at night he takes a few people that he can trust and he surveys the whole situation. And then the next day he goes to the leaders of the city and says, here's what God is doing. And the people said, arise, let us build. And they get to the work. But the surrounding people's are threatened by this they hate you know, the Israelites they're thankful and, and they rejoice that Jerusalem has been in shambles and so they start to make threats and they start to try to dissuade the people you know, from the work and Nehemiah has to show a lot of courage and strong leadership to help the people but then there's also a problem from outside and then there's also problems from inside because then Nehemiah learns that some of the, the wealthier families in the community had been taking advantage of the situation. There had been a famine and so you know people were having to mortgage their lands and even, even having to put their, their sons and daughters into servitude in order to have food to survive. And Nehemiah is rightfully... Angry about this, you know his his argument there, and this is how we know he, you know, redeemed people back in 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 the city of Susa is. Um, he says, you know, we would buy them and give them their freedom, and yet back in our own homeland, we're, you know, you're doing this to your own people. You know, and he has a righteous anger about that situation, and the people turn and they release the debts and they do what is. Right, They do what they should have been doing all the time, and that is helping one another and being generous to one another. And so that's the context um, that we got into last week, and then there was the reading you know, of, of the law that, that Ezra, so if you're in the Bible, Ezra and Nehemiah are contemporaries. It's good to read those back together. We've been studying Nehemiah. I encourage you to go back and read the book of, of Ezra, But uh, he had been there for some years before Nehemiah got there. He had, you know, really been, you know, tilling the ground and planting seeds. And then all that comes to fruition once Nehemiah is on the scene. But without Ezra's work for those 14 years ahead of time, you know, because the, the hearts of the people were really hard against God. The hearts of the people were really hard against God. And so it took a lot of time and a lot of effort and a lot of work because, man, as, as humans, we can be really stubborn. We can be really stubborn and we can be really prideful and we can think that we don't need God and that, our ways are, that, that if there is a God, our ways are, are still better than God's ways is. And we can live this life and figure out this life and, and do what we want to do and how we want to do it and somehow we convince ourselves that that will be better that that will be better than humbling ourselves before God and saying Lord forgive me I'm a sinner we somehow think it would be better to be our own strong man instead of being Nehemiah on his face before God so it took Tom to soften their hearts. And so then, Ezra, they had built this platform, and Ezra reads the law, and others, you know, as they read the law, the others go, and, and they explain in groups, and they answer questions, and they help the people to understand the law of Moses. First, it's it's interesting, because it's kind of a reverse order, um, because it was a time in the calendar for a feast that Israel had not been celebrating, and so they told them to celebrate this feast, because that feast reminded them that they had been slaves in the land of Egypt for 400 years and that God through Moses had brought them out and given them that land and so that was a time to celebrate but once that time of celebration was done they go back and okay, remember what, what God did and this was the order they needed to remember what God did for them in bringing them out of the land of Egypt then they needed to remember that God had given them his law through Moses and they needed to remember that for generations they and their ancestors had fallen short of it they had failed to keep it that they had lived in rebellion against God and that there were consequences for that and so they put on sackcloth this uncomfortable rough stuff that you would store grain in and they would put it, they put it on themselves as their clothing, and they put ashes on their heads. and they got their faces before God, and they begged for forgiveness. And so then from there, from there what we have today in chapter 10 is that they had this document, and the, their leaders basically sealed it, and they all said, "You know, we promise." To, to live back according to the law of Moses. And, some, and there were some things there specifically that they committed to do. Now we have to, again, have this all in context. Because they were under the law of Moses. And what we, what we know is that the law of Moses was powerful and it had a purpose. and had a purpose up until the death of Christ and it still has a purpose today. Galatians chapter 3, verse 24 says, Therefore the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we may be justified by faith. See, because one of the great things that the law does, that it did for, you know, did for the people here, is you know, there was the reading of the law, and then there was like, whoa, we don't even come close. We have failed so incredibly much. You know, and, and the same thing today. I mean, you read... I mean, you just take the Ten Commandments. Just take the Ten Commandments and you go, you know, have you ever told a lie? Well, yes. What do you call somebody who tells lies? A liar. Ever taken something that wasn't yours? Yeah. What do you call somebody who takes something that's not theirs? A thief. Okay, a liar and a thief. That's you know, do we want to keep going with the other eight? You we, we end up really quickly. Have you ever used the, the name of God in vain? Have you ever put, had any, anything in your life above the place of God? See, the law shows us that we're sinful. The law shows us that we're inadequate, but its purpose, ultimately, is to bring us to Christ. Bring us to Jesus that we may be justified by faith. Jesus said, do not think that I came to destroy the law of the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. You see, he fulfilled all the righteous requirements of the law because he was the one who lived in righteousness. And he was the one who was the sacrifice to pay for all the law-breaking that we have done. To pay the debt. To pay what we owed for all the laws that we have broken. You know, when there are There are laws that are broken. There are penalties applied to those laws. We understand that. And then he comes and through his his sacrifice of the cross, through his blood, he pays for all the law-breaking that we have done. And listen to what Hebrews chapter 8 says. It says, But now he, that's Christ, has obtained a more excellent ministry... Because he is also mediator of a better covenant, which was established on better promises. What we have in Jesus is better than what the people in Nehemiah's day had you know, under the law. But it was still, remember, the point of it all... Um, because they had the law and they had the sacrifices, and even like the day atonement of atonement, and they would come and they would offer sacrifices you know, for the nation, but all of that was to point them. and the prophecies pointed them to, there would be a Messiah who would come, who would be the sacrifice, Isaiah 53, that he would be the sacrifice, that he would be the one to fulfill the law and, and to meet the requirements and to give salvation. And so, what we read today, we need to remember, we have to have it in context, that we are not under the law that, that the, the people in Nehemiah's day, the Israelites specifically, in Nehemiah's day were under. Or if you are a follower of Jesus, you're in Christ. Okay? The law helped you to get there, whether you realize it or not. You know, a lot of people come to Jesus, they don't realize that the law of Moses really helped them to get it. They just under, you know, they didn't maybe know how to articulate that. But they still, if you come to Jesus, there's an understanding of, I'm not adequate. I have failed. In chapter 10, um, the first 27 verses are really a, a a list of names. Um of those who signed the document. And so we're going to move to chapter 10, verse 28. And it says, Now the rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the Nethanim, and all those who had separated themselves from the peoples of the lands to the law of God, their wives, their sons, and their daughters, everyone who had knowledge and understanding, these joined with their brethren, their nobles, and entered into a curse and an oath to walk in God's law, which was given by Moses, the servant of God, and to observe and to do all the commandments of the Lord our God and his ordinances and his statutes. We would not give our daughters as wives to the peoples of the land, nor take their daughters for our sons. If the people of the land brought items or any grain to sell on the Sabbath day, we would not buy it from them on the Sabbath or on a holy day, and we would forego the seventh year's produce and the exacting of every debt. So there's a few things here um, to talk about, um, and we may not have time to, to hit every um, every single point, but we do want to gain you know an understanding. Again, the commitment was given to the law of Moses um, that God had given, and so they, had, they committed themselves to that. Again, the context is really important, especially the context about those who had you know married or or potentially would would have their sons or daughters marry people from you know the lands around them and they were commanded not to do that but why and the reason was is because there had been a historical precedent that when their sons or daughters married people of these other ethnicities they ended up following their gods and so they were led astray and started you know, offering sacrifices to these other gods, to worship them, to neglect the true and living God, and that was a terrible thing. Again, remember also that there was great wickedness attached to the worship of these other gods as well. You know, in the lands, remember when when God first brought um, the the Hebrews out of of Egypt and gave them that land, he says, you know, it's not because of your righteousness I'm giving you this, but because of their wickedness. Because they even committed, you know, human sacrifice of their own children. So, it's because of their great wickedness that that was done. And so, don't follow them and their gods and their ways. Is the message here. Again, we have to remember the bigger context of the scripture. Nehemiah is is a very important book, and it is truth, it is scripture. Um, there's, a, there's also the context of the entire word of God. And in that context, you have, for example, Rahab the Canaanite and Ruth the Moabite are both in the earthly lineage of Jesus. There's no condemnation given you know, to that. There's no scripture that says, and that was wrong, or, or anything of, of that nature. The difference is, is that Rahab and Ruth had already attached themselves to Yahweh. That's a really key point. They became they became followers of the true and living God, and then they married. You know, they were they married Hebrew men. What's happening in these other contexts is somebody's worshipping false gods, and then they are getting you know, those families are, are joining in marriage. That's the real heart of the issue. And Nehemiah later in the book uses Solomon as the example of that. Like, you know, Solomon, Nehemiah says, you know, Solomon had been given all of this and God, you know, loved him. But then his marriage to these, you know, um, wives of other nations led him to, the, to follow other gods. To the worship of other gods, so he's like, we can't, we can't be doing that." Um, And so that's the you know an important part of context. Another one, just just to put out there again to to have a full understanding. Um, You know, Moses um, had married a Midianite um, you know woman when he had run into the desert. Okay, so he marries a Midianite woman, Zipporah, and then. Um, perhaps that she had passed away we're not sure exactly um, what had happened that's what we think is most likely and his second wife was a Cushite she was she was African and Moses' sister didn't like that and was angry with him and then what did God do to Miriam he gave her leprosy it's like, oh, if that's gonna, if that's how, it's kind of like God is saying, uh, if that's uh, Miriam, if you want to have that perspective, I'll, I'll give you leprosy. And then she had to repent, and she was healed of it. But that was an important um, part in there. So the same application is true today. My major concern of, you know, for my daughters, who they marry? Question number one. Do they love Jesus? For my son who we who wants to marry, does she love Jesus? Anything else? It's kind of inconsequential. Main thing is, do you love Jesus? Because the heart is what matters. And the only one who gets my heart in line over a lifetime is Jesus. So then verse 32. It says, Also we made ordinances for ourselves to exact from ourselves yearly one-third of a shekel for the service of the house of God, for the showbread, for the regular grain offering, for the regular burnt offering of the Sabbath, to the new moons and the set feast, for the holy things, for the sin offerings, to make atonement for Israel and all the work of the house of our God. We cast lots among the priests, the Levites, and the people for the bringing the wood offering into the house of our God according to our Father's houses at the appointed times year by year to burn on the altar of the Lord our God as written in the law. Whew. They got a lot to follow. They have a lot to follow. They have the Sabbath, you know, which was Saturday as the Holy Day, and then they've got all these feasts. All these things that they have to do. When it comes to the ceremonial side, we are much more simplified today. We come together on the Lord's Day. The reason the early disciples who were all Jewish switched from worshiping on the Sabbath, Saturday, onto the Lord's Day, Sunday, is because that's the day the Lord rose from the dead in the New Covenant. And that's the symbolic of that. So we meet together on the Lord's Day, and on the Lord's Day we take the bread and the cup the remember the sacrifice of our savior and king and when people come to know Jesus as savior and commit their lives to him we have baptism as their public profession of their inward faith and that's about it anything else is pretty much optional <laughs> anything else you want to do you want to have a <laughs> you want to get together and sing on a special day that's all that's up to you you can do that but these are the things that we're commanded to do. You know, it's, it's, it's much more simplified. You know, and, and we don't have to bring our lambs and, and all of these things for sacrifice because Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice. You know, and and I, and I think there was an intentional Giving of sadness to the fact that an innocent lamb would die for the sins of, of humans. And we don't have to deal with that. But my goodness, we still do have to deal with the reality that Jesus had to die for me. And that, that should mean something. That should mean something. And that should never become common. That should never become common. I should never be able just to have those words come from my lips. Jesus died for me. And it not ev- evoke some emotion. Because Jesus died for me. Jesus died for you. But each of us have a decision to make of what to do with that death. What to do with that sacrifice. To receive that gift or to reject it is... The most important decision any person has to make. Jesus is a gift, a gift you can receive. You, you ever get a gift and you just put it in the trash can? You know, maybe maybe one of your neighbors who's not very good at making one of those um what the words leave my cake. <laughs> you know, you you know, you know, like. Neighbor Susie, bless her heart. um, It's a really bad-tasted fruitcake, and so you say thank you, and then you walk over, you know, and and if your dog won't eat it, and then uh, and then it goes in the trash, right? That's okay to do with 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 fruitcake, I think, (laughs) if you have to. (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) <laughs> but, but folks, for for real though, for real, the, you know the, the, that's what we do though. You know that's a choice. You you take Jesus, the gift of Jesus, and he's either it's either precious to you and, you, and in humility you receive it, or you say, no, I don't want that gift. And for a lot of people, you know, it's not. They're not like, oh, I'm going to put that in the trash can. But it's this, it's this pride that says, no, I'm going to earn it. I'm just going to be a better me I'm going to earn it I'm going to earn my salvation I'm going to earn my place before God I'm going to earn it I can be better it's that pride that rejects the gift ultimately it says I don't need it I I can do it on my own but folks we've got to be real God is holy holy God is holy. And just one one sin that you might not even think is that even big of a deal, it cannot be in the presence of God. It's got to be dealt with. It's got to be paid for. It's got to be cleansed. It's got to be out of the picture. And only Jesus can do that. Only the blood of Jesus can do that. And the people here, we saw this causing them a desire. What God had done for them caused a desire to do the right thing. And they said, um, verse 35, we made ordinances to bring the first fruits, first first fruits, sorry, I'm about to say fruitcake, the first (laughs) fruitcakes of our ground and the first fruits of all the fruit of all the trees year by year to the house of the Lord to bring the firstborn of our sons and our cattle as written in the law. And the firstborn of our herds and our flocks to the house of our God, to the priests who minister in the house of our God. To bring the firstfruits of our dough, our offerings, the fruit from all kinds of trees, and new wine and oil to the priests, to the storerooms of the house of our God, and to bring the tithes of our land to the Levites. For the Levites should receive the tithes in all of the farming communities. And the priests, the descendants of Aaron, should be with the Levites when the Levites receive the tithes. And the Levites shall bring up a tenth of the tithes to the house of our God, to the rooms of the storehouse." for the children of Israel and the children of Levi shall bring the offering of the grain of the new wine and the oil to the storeroom where the articles of the sanctuary are where the priests who minister and the gatekeepers and the singers are and we will not neglect the house of our God so they were they committed to pay the tithes and offerings of the that were in the old testament law that they were supposed um, to give, and the reason is, is that the Levites, when the you know lamb was divided out, originally you know the the Levites weren't given you know lamb to farm. They were given cities and places to dwell, and they were supposed to, you know, instruct the people and to keep the people on point with the law of God in that area. And then the priests specifically, um, you know, needed to receive those who were in the temple needed to receive. Um, as well because they were busy doing the work you know, of the temple. They didn't, again, have the, the time and the other things to go um, and farm land or to keep animals or to build things um, and to work in those ways. There's also, um, you know, in the law, you know, that the helping of the poor and those who are widows and, and orphans, all of that you know, was was instructed. And so, um, you know, how does that apply today? Again, understanding the context. So originally with the law of Moses, you know, their their own nation, they're not paying they don't have a king, they're not paying taxes, they are giving 10% of everything plus their other offerings. I mean, and when they give 10% of everything, I mean like it was it was everything. I mean I've got one hundred apples. Ten of them go. I mean, that's just how it was. And then there were other offerings that they gave, um, different times of the year, and the helping of the poor. And they were, you know, generous. So you know, about a third of their income is commonly accepted. Um, would go now in the context that Nehemiah's in. They say we're going to do all these things, but they've also got taxes and tribute to pay. Because their, their land is, they're occupied. They're part of the Persian Empire. And so they still have to, now they have to pay, you know, that. So, you because know, sometimes people will say, well, you know, they didn't have to pay taxes like I do, I do, so I don't need to give, you know, whatever. Folks, that's not the argument. Can't really make that argument because of the example here in Nehemiah. But there's a whole different side to this. You're looking, a lot of times we're looking at it in the wrong way. What do we have in the New Covenant? You know, in the New Testament, what do you find about tithes and offering? What do you find? Not much. <laughs> Jesus says to the Pharisees, You tied the mint and the cumin, meaning you take your little herbs and you measure it out. So, I mean, imagine this, like, you, you know, you've got a basil plant at home, right? You, you, you trim it, and you, you do all your things, and then you, you measure it out, and you're like, you're bringing 10% of it. Okay, I mean, that's how, that, that, that's how it was. He says, you do well, but you neglect the weightier things. <laughs> things like mercy. So, there's that, and then again, what did we talk about before? Jesus fulfilled the requirements of the law. Today, everything that we do, we don't do it because of, if you're a follower of Jesus, you, your mind has you know have the right mindset. You don't do anything that you do today because it was in the law of Moses. Anything you do today, you need to do because of the new covenant that you're in with Jesus. Well, what's that? That's, you know, I've, I've, I've believed in Jesus. I've received the Holy Spirit. You know, the, the, the God put it, sealed me with his Holy Spirit. Okay, now I want to follow Jesus day by day. So what does that mean? Well, it's the heart of the law, as Jesus said, because it's to love God with all that you are and to love your neighbor as yourself. But we are not under those ceremonial. This is what I'm trying to get you to understand because there are so many followers of Jesus today when you talk about giving they'll go well I know we're supposed to tithe. Are you? Are you supposed to are you supposed to meet for worship on Saturday? That's the law. Are you supposed to have No tattoos? That's the law. Are you supposed to sacrifice a lamb? That's the law. Are you supposed to do ceremonial washings before you eat your food? Do you do those? Do you do all these other things? I mean, do you really want to be under the law? You don't want to be under the law, folks. I mean, a lot of us would be dead if we were under the law. (laughs) I'm just saying, like physically, literally, because that's what the law commanded. You don't want to be, trust you don't want to be under the law. So it is frustrating. I was going to say that. It's frustrating when it comes to that, like, one area. People, God taught, you know, law of Moses. Law of Moses, God taught. What? What? Folks, new covenant. New covenant. We don't tithe. We give. We don't tithe. You tithe, that's an obligation. That is an obligation. A law that there is a corresponding punishment to not doing that. Now I'm not saying again'm I'm not gonna take away consequences I'm talking about a legal thing here I'm talking about a legal thing here we have a better covenant established on better promises all in the old has been fulfilled like don't just pick because this is what people do people go back to the you know Nobody wants to be under the whole Old Testament law. But people like to go and go, I want to take this one. I got that one. I want to take this one. Nobody's going to sit there and go, man, just give me Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Just give me all of it. You're not going to do that. I don't want to do that. Give me that one. I'll take that. And a lot of churches who say we're under the new covenant, I mean most, I'd say ninety-some percent say, don't forget the tithe. But that's fear based. That's fear based because, and this is how this works, because because preachers know if people tithe, everything in the church is going to be good. If people just give 10%, and most churches, you get 10% from everybody, you're rolling. I mean you can do it. you can do what you want to do. I mean you can do you can have some jam up ministry, you get 10% from everybody. Because reality is most people give like two and a half percent. That's reality. Everybody talks a big game about Tyler, but when you actually look at numbers, two point five. Two point five. And that's like all charitable giving. Like like half of that hardly even makes it to the church. Like that's just you know what people are giving everywhere. Like two point five. Maybe three. Now, it's also interesting. People who have less usually give a higher percentage. Okay. What am I getting at here? What's the point? What is the New Testament? In the New Testament covenant, what are we instructed? So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. You see, you see a difference in mindset? You see, if I sit there and go, man, I've got to give this percentage, I've got to give this 10%, and then this other 90, see, i get, I get to do what I want with that. But can I, can I offer us a different perspective? Can I offer it to a different perspective this morning that says, this is what I've got, and it's all God's. of it. And he's entrusted me with it as a steward. Now, Lord, how do you want me to use it? And at different seasons of your life, there might be different answers to that question. See, but what that requires is communication and fellowship with God and an open and joyful and cheerful heart. And you don't just get the rote like, well, did my duty. You know, I would hope in the New Covenant giving would increase over an Old Testament perspective. I would hope that the New Covenant would compel us to desire to do more than the failings of, of everybody under the law of the Old Covenant. that ends up being like two and a half, three 3 percent I would hope that the cheerful giver would give more than the you know at least the temptation to be a penny miser and to fudge numbers under the old system you see we have freedom in Jesus and that freedom should, you know gives us a, a bigger picture and a better understanding and a greater joy and a greater joy of of being a cheerful giver And a generous giver, man. Followers of Jesus should, of all people, should be known as the generous ones. Now, a lot of times that's not true. A lot of times, you know, there's a reason a lot of people don't like to be a waiter or waitress on a on a Sunday at lunch, demanding and cheap. A lot of times is the stereotype there. Where's the changed heart? Where's the changed heart? You know, that's the question there. Where's the changed heart? But I think part of that is people still being bought under parts of the Old Testament law. That, like, that's a carryover of that. And it's uh, I can do the minimum. As opposed to, Lord, what do you want me to do? I mean, can we just do that in life? I mean, yes, in our in our giving in the church, but also, at, you know, at at the restaurant, can we can we have a conversation with Jesus before he leaves the tip? And understand that even in that, like people are paying, people are t- paying attention man I'm just I'm, I'm gonna say it it's better to eat at home your peanut butter and jelly than to go to a restaurant and be stingy you know we, we, if you can't afford the tip you can't afford the meal <laughs> you know that's just how it goes you know we've got to change our our perspective but i really hope that on that one I'm just gonna ask everybody if if you tired, tith- stop tithing. Just just stop tithing. But give cheerfully. <laughs> give cheerfully. <laughs> Somebody were like, never Stop tithing. Go, yes. <laughs> yeah, no, no. Man, what an opportunity we have in our world today. And and, and it's a gospel issue because imagine if all the people of Jesus live with like generosity, be the motto, and, and, and being mission-driven, that we have to reach the whole world with the good news of Jesus Christ and make disciples of all people groups, and that drives. But I'm going to say something on this, and I'm going to be quiet on this because we need to move on. I, I'm, a, I'm afraid... That ungenerous churches tend to produce ungenerous people. And what I mean by that is, like, when the church isn't mission driven, the church, you know, churches spend the vast majority of their resources on themselves, like, well over 90% in general. Like, that's standard. You know, what if a much greater percentage went out the door? The church has to model generosity. The church has to model in others' focus. Folks, you, you all know, I mean, there's, there's things we could do here. There's things that we could have. There's things that we could have. But, but we'd rather, we'd rather send some money to some missions. To some people who don't have the gospel yet. We'd rather send some money there. Yeah, we could have some nicer stuff for us. You could have a more comfortable seat this morning than an old metal chair from you know, some church used 30 years ago. I, literally. <laughs> 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 yeah, literally. But, I mean, we could, we could buy you something more comfortable. Or the gospel can go forward to somewhere else. Just tap your little metal chair and be like, (laughs) praise the Lord this morning. It's it's a gospel chair. (laughs) It is. I just say (laughs) it. I just say it. Feel better about it. Go sit on your own couch at home when you get home. Get a little relief. But I'm just saying the reality of it is that churches have to be generous to make a model. So people will be generous when the churches, you know, a lot of, I mean, I know a ton of churches who even, they're so caught up in the tithing, in that language. They tithe their giving. Like, that's all they're giving to missions. It's like, well, we tithed it. It's like, Jesus gave us the mission. And we go put ridiculous parameters on everything based on stuff like, from the law of Moses. I am scratching my head. I can't figure it out. Folks, it's a new, we're a new creation, and it's a new system. It's a new government. It's a new everything. It's a new economy. It's a new order. It's a new everything in Jesus. I know people get weird to say new order, thing, but the order of Jesus is what I'm talking about here, folks. It's the order of Jesus. His way, for Him, His purpose. But that happens, you see. When we become a new creation in Christ, what does the scripture say? Anyone who is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has po- passed away. All things have become new. In the new covenant, everything is new. You are, you, if you are in Jesus, you have a new life. And a new perspective. And a new purpose. So don't go back to the old. Don't go back to the old worldly ways. Don't go back to the old law of Moses. Don't go back to the old anything. Stay new in Jesus in his way. Which is to love God with all that you are. To love your neighbor as yourself. To make disciples of all nations. To be 100% committed to his mission. Like the new, the new, the new. But for my own heart and for your hearts and for our collective hearts, a lot of times what we do is we step back into old. Whether that old is the world or old perspective or old system or old whatever it is. Instead of the new life that we're supposed to walk in Jesus. Jesus. But to to begin, because I don't want to get sidetracked, to begin, everybody has to take that first step. And usually that's a step face down to Jesus at his feet. Lord, forgive me, I'm a sinner. He's the one who makes all things new. And A lot of that newness happens right away and then other newness happens as we gain understanding. As we gain a better understanding of of the scripture and understand what Jesus is about. But grab hold of the new, folks. Grab hold of the new. Most of all, what I mean by that is grab hold of Jesus. He's right there. He's right there. All you got to do is bow down and grab onto his feet. He's right there. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning and I pray that you would help us and give us understanding and help us to live and to walk according to your ways. And we're thankful that the law showed us our brokenness. And the law has showed us our need for faith in your son Jesus in order to be justified. And we're thankful this morning that those of us who have believed in you Jesus can take that bread and that cup and remember your sacrifice for us and that today we get to celebrate the fact that you make all things new and there's a newness of life found in you and so Jesus in this time may your name be glorified in your precious name Jesus we pray amen we have a short um, open time this morning so if you have a song um, like to sing or us to sing or a uh, scripture to read or a prayer, I encourage you to do that. In this time, everything is focused toward Jesus, what he did for us. As the table is, is open, we have the bread and the cup, the bread representing the body of Jesus, the cup representing his blood, and we remember the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. Um, and so if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, we invite you to take that if you know in your own heart that Jesus isn't your Savior He isn't your King well our, our, our plea with you our encouragement with you this morning believe in Him and then you can remember Him you, know, you can't remember somebody you don't know but believe in Him and then take that bread and that cup and thanksgiving and um, we encourage that this morning and then uh, we'll have our um, baptism here there might be a little warm water man better tell please won't be distracted by that but just focus on on the lord all right